On today's episode of Titus and Tate, we are honoring the memory of two college basketball icons, two titans, two legends of the game that we've lost uh, in th- this weekend. Um, Lute Olson passed away on Friday, longtime Arizona coach, also coached at Iowa. Iowa fans want you to remember that, Tate. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was beloved. We remember 1980 on yep. this program. Yeah. Uh, he passes away Friday night, and then John Thompson this morning, uh, we were recording this on Monday night, John Thompson, we, I, I woke up to news that John Thompson Jr., a uh, longtime Georgia legend, uh, had also passed away. Um, and we figured that's that's pretty much a full show right there, like talking about the legacies that those two guys left behind. And it was one of those things, too, where these are, you, you said it, legends, icons, whatever word you want to use is not going to be large enough. I mean, we mm-hmm. call him Big John, but he's a giant in the space. You know, it's Midnight Loot, all the caricatures, all the characters, and, and the fact that they built two programs independently that have had their premier years with them at the helm. We wanted to focus on that. We don't want to be somber. We want to celebrate these two guys and talk about the, the yeah. last of a dying breed of just college basketball epic coaches at this type of level. Celebration of life. Yeah, it's been it's been a rough few months, man. Eddie Sutton, like obviously, I mean, I don't I mean, yeah. I talk about the world at large, but just like Eddie Sutton passes away, Lou Henson passes away. Uh, yeah, it's just you, you start what to look around. I mean, you start thinking about all the basketball yeah. legends, Kobe Cliff, Bryant. Cliff Robinson yeah, just Cliff uh, Robinson. passed away this weekend too. But uh, yeah, you look around at all the college basketball coaches and it's like man it is like the the, the bygone era is i don't know that's how time works i guess this is mm. the circle of life uh <laughs> but I, let's I, celebrate I, let's celebrate the good times on this program also battle in the bubble has been trademarked by the ncaa <laughs> we gotta we gotta talk about what this might mean uh, bring us back get, battle in the bubble maybe All right. maybe get a little nba playoff talk we'll see uh if we have enough time we'll see where we're at but uh we're gonna mostly talk about lute olsen and john thompson because both those guys deserve it and they're legends and uh we're gonna treat them as such so we're gonna get to all that but first woody durham all right tate i think uh we should start with lute olsen just because he passed away first and we'll just keep it chronological i guess uh friday night word comes out uh, it actually i had seen a few days before that there was someone i forget who it was that broke the news or but someone was saying like prayers up for coach olsen he's he's not doing so hot and yeah so it, it wasn't exactly a surprise uh given that that his health had kind of turned for the worse there uh but yeah friday night news breaks lute olsen passes away and even then like it's, I, I, you get older, you start to learn, you know, you, you, you go through people dying more and more, you know, like Kobe obviously was super shocking shit. Chadwick Boseman. God, mm. I don't even want to really, that's so sad, but uh, yeah. you see, you see these things happen as you get older and you, you, you feel like at a certain point you'd be desensitized, but even still, man, seeing like the news that Lou Olson passed away, even in light of seeing a few days earlier that I knew he wasn't doing well, he's 85 years old. He'd already suffered a stroke before. Uh, which is ultimately what kind of led to him retiring from Arizona in the first place. There's still just like the finality of it. You're like, damn, man, that's, that's it. That's the, that's all it is. And uh, I don't know. I, I still like, I've gotten older. I still don't get used to that. I still don't get used to my dad calling me and being like, you remember John Murphy? And I'm like, no dad, I don't. He's like, remember your little league team? And, uh, in 99, I was like, nope, don't remember that. And he's like, he was the first base coach. I was like, nope, don't remember. Anyway, he died. And I'm like, that's small town re- America. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't remember yeah. the guy, but goddamn, now I feel bad. And like, I want to reach out to the Murphy family and ask him if they're doing all right. So anyway, uh, it was, it just kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. Like, man, the, the, the legacy this guy had, your mind just starts going back to all the memories that you have of, and I guess I'll do my monologue first and I'll let you 
kind of speak what your memories of Lute Olson in the Arizona day. I tweeted something about it uh, that, that I tried to like capture my, my thoughts. And, and this isn't just me retroactively saying it because the guy passed away and I feel like I have to have something queued up to, to, to you know, honor his memory. This is the honest to God fact, man. When I was growing up in Indiana, I thought Arizona basketball was the coolest thing ever. Like I thought the, the, the style of play they had of uh, point guard you out there and, and, and it, they, they were just so perimeter oriented. Uh, Lute Olson to me was a player's coach before the era of players coaches. He was a player's coach in an era where the coaches were hard asses and were disciplinarians. And like, you know, obviously Dean Smith was, was beloved by his players, but Dean Smith was still like a father figure. And to me, Lute Olson was cut from that, like, John Calipari, Tom Izzo vibe were like the guys. I mean, when they won the 90, it was the 97 title, right? Where they all start rubbing his hair. And like, he, he to me was a player. He was like with the first guy I really remember being like, that is a different kind of basketball coach than I'm used to. And it just looks so fun. And I was always so mesmerized growing up in Indiana, a million miles away from Arizona. In my mind, Arizona was like just this desert wasteland. And I knew nothing about it. I knew the Phoenix Suns were out there, but that was pretty much it. And then all of a sudden, I started paying more attention to Arizona basketball. And I was like, man, I don't know how they're doing this. I don't know how all of these NBA guys are going out there. I don't know how they're competing, going to Final Fours, winning the 97 title. It's so confusing, but it's so, so cool. And um, that, to me, was what Arizona basketball was, which is why, like, if you listen to the show and you've been following uh, certainly my career for a long time, like, Arizona fans always point out to me that I know more about Arizona basketball than I should. And that's not a coincidence that like, I I've been to Tucson many times. I've been to a ton of games in the McHale center. Um, I've just always been so enamored by Arizona and it started just way back. I mean, when Jason Gardner, who was 1999, Mr. Basketball in Indiana, he, he ended up going out to Arizona. That really got my attention. I was like, Oh my God, this guy's not playing for the Hoosiers. He's going all the way out there. And then Luke record transfers from IU. He goes to Arizona, him and his girlfriend get in a car wreck. And then he ends up coming back to Iowa. But anyway, those, th- as that started happening, when I was like right in that age of eight, nine, 10, up into junior high, high school, Arizona was just so cool. The coolest kid at every basketball camp you go to would be wearing the, uh, the Arizona basketball shorts with cats down the side. Yeah. The cats on the side. Yeah. yeah. Still yeah, have those you, shorts in my house currently. Yeah. They're the best. Dude, you were, you were the coolest kid at the basketball camp. If you showed up with those, and especially like in Indiana. And I don't know if it was the same in North Carolina. We were just like so far away from Arizona, but yeah, man, that, that was, that was to me, like, I will always like fondly remember growing up watching Jason Gardner's bleach blonde hair with his, with his knee high socks, bringing the ball up with the cactus logo and Lou Olson's on the sideline. Like, I, you know, I, I wasn't an Arizona fan per se. It wasn't like I was living and dying by every moment of Arizona basketball, but I was always locked in and I was always like, that is so, so cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and you said it, I mean, Arizona and the whole culture that was built there when Lute Olson went to Arizona, they were, I think they won four games the year before in 1982 and he goes there in 83, 84 and everything is, is just fine and dandy because Lute Olson comes in. He gets a nickname Min, Midnight Loop because of recruits at the last minute. They you know, yeah. would say, <laughs> I want to go to so-and-so school. And somehow Midnight Loot would get in there and they'd want to go to Arizona. And you mentioned Dean Smith. I mean, to me, Arizona and Lute Olson, he was kind of the Dean Smith of the West in a sense yeah. where – he was – they had all these athletes and these players. Like, when you did, like, a, a list, like, a roster list of guys, you're like, that guy played at Arizona? Mm-hmm. That guy played with Lute Olsen? And that was, like, to me, always the, the fascinating part of Arizona. 
and the game that sticks out just in my you know childhood is obviously when they play against Duke in 2001 mm-hmm. and, and they have the, that whole moment in time and that sort of was like the transition into the new century of college basketball and those were the two titans right there coach k versus lute olsen this arizona program versus duke program there's too many stars uh, to mm-hmm. kind of keep up with and that's kind of i think the college basketball that i at, at some level subconsciously think of when i think of the national title game um, and I think you, you just kind of look at the records of Lute Olson. It's crazy. You know, he has the program record for wins in a season and with 35 wins in 1987. And you, you heard all the stories about Lute Olson around Arizona and Tucson. When he passed away, you know, I had friends that, you know, either went to Arizona or like had worked for, uh, you know, the team in certain capacities. And they were texting me like, here's this Lute Olson story to, to share on the podcast. And, you know, there was too many for me to share. And I honestly don't feel like I'm the, the person to share yeah, these yeah. types of stories. But you see the stories and it was very I mean these guys are iconoclasts I mean they have their their stories will be shared forever because it's like folklore you know what I mean the the Lute Olson story will be passed around Tucson forever um and he's always going to be alive in Tucson and I I think that's that's probably the most powerful thing about Lute Olson yeah the Tucson thing especially like and I know this is true of a lot of guys like obviously Dean Smith cast a large shadow in Chapel Hill and uh you know it's this is Jim Beheim, his influence on the the city of Syracuse uh is is massive obviously but uh as a guy who again i've been to tucson many times uh, one, one of my best friends went to school at the university of arizona also which uh helped facilitate like me getting out there a lot but even even i've, I've gone a bunch to not even visit him i just like any excuse i can get to uh, to mikhail center or just get on campus it's I, I i love the city i love the campus i love the basketball program but one thing that is evident if you spend a little time in tucson is that lute olsen is the king he is he's <laughs> yes, he god exactly. status he's, <laughs> he's not, and i don't mean he's like yes. the king of the arizona fans and like there's like this pocket of arizona fans but then like there's the rest of the city of tucson and the rest of the city doesn't really care but in this little bubble of arizona i'm talking the entire city i'm talking like that guy runs the entire city it, it, and, and I, I mean maybe I'm I'm out of my depth and talking about this but it has sort of a feel of like the same things that he did for Arizona basketball which is took over a dormant program like you said they'd won four games and he's turned them into a national brand I mean Arizona is it's it's it, it was at the time the hottest like Arizona and Gonzaga probably right now are the two strongest would you say even right now, like Arizona and Gonzaga, I mean, UCLA, we love, obviously. UCLA is historically the brand. It was like UCLA and then Arizona because of Lute Olsen. Mm-hmm. And then UCLA kind of faded out the back. UCLA kind of disappeared. Gonzaga took over. Now UCLA is back. I don't really know. But the point is, Arizona was like a brand. Um, and I think Lute Olsen did the same for Tucson, where, again, I'm, maybe this isn't true, but in my mind, Tucson was a, a ghost town. It was nothing to write home. There was like nothing going on. There was no point of pride. And then Lou Olson shows up. He builds a winner. Like the entire city's rallying around him. The entire university's going crazy. And, uh, and you feel that, man. You go to Tucson. They got the statue of him outside the arena. But uh, just throughout the whole city of Tucson, there's, there's nobody that, that commands more respect or, or casts a larger shadow than Lou Olson. And that's crazy. And also what's crazy to me is not only talking about his Arizona legacy, but he was – and I believe this is true. He was like the best coach Iowa ever had when he left <laughs> Iowa, right? Yeah, yeah, Like exactly. he was Nine seasons at Iowa. Yep, took him to the Final Four in 1980. Think about how rare that is, that the guy was the best coach in program history. He leaves that program, and that program and those fans still love him, mm-hmm. uh, which is – like Kansas fans are still iffy on Roy. I think they finally have come around. But like when, K- when Roy left Kansas, they were like – happy for the guy. They were no, like, what the hell, dude? Why Bill would you Self winning us? a title helped that whole yeah. thing. It softened the blow. 
That's that's a. I mean, the only other time I can really think about that is like Gary Williams. But he, Gary Williams wasn't even the best coach Ohio State ever had. But when like Gary Williams left Ohio, like Gary Williams left Ohio State to go to Maryland. It's his alma mater. Like Ohio State fans were kind of like, all right, we're we're cool with you, Gary. But he wasn't. He wasn't like the best coach ever. You know what I mean? So like th- this idea that that he leaves Iowa and the Iowa fans are like, no man, we're just appreciative for what he did for the program. He's an awesome dude. We'll always love Blue. The good news for Iowa fans too is like George Raveling, I think, was the coach that came in right after. So it's like you yeah. had a Hall of Famer like coming That's in true. after yeah. Hall of Famer. But there was also that era of coaches, I think, is uh there's it was a golden age, you know, as we kind of look back and see these guys and they all, you know, I, I see Jim Bayheim and Jim Calhoun, all these guys coming out of the woodworks to give their quotes about, you know, Lute Olson. You kind of you mentioned about the West Coast basketball. He's the Pac-10. This is a Pac-10 update. Mm-hmm. He is the greatest Pac-10 coach ever. You know what I mean? Ever. John Wooden is the greatest Pac-8 or whatever Pac, Pac version was. Like yeah. the, what was it called? Like the North, uh, the, the whatever they call themselves, Western Alliance of Collegiate. <laughs> greatest of that era, and then it's Lute Olson in the Pac-10. The Pac-12 to be determined. We're both saying Mick Cronin right now on the mm-hmm. record, but we'll see what happens. It's but, still early, but Mick Cronin is still early. Mick Cronin. Well. Sean yeah. Miller not doing so hot right now. Tucson fans earmuffs on that one, but that's what I mean. Like Lute Olson had this period of time where he dominated, and that was West Coast basketball. I mean, we make the jokes about you know, West Coast basketball and, and, and the Pac-12 and all that sort of stuff. But Arizona was never a part of the joke for a period of time when Lute Olson was there. You know what I mean? They were completely a blue blood. They were in, in yeah, the game, yeah. and they had real skin in the game, and they had a real chance. And obviously, in 1997, they beat three one seeds to a title. That's never happened since. Yeah. So, and, they, and they did it with a freshman point guard, which I think <laughs> I'd, I'd have to do the Defies research. all logic. I, I think that was the first oh – God, I, I don't want to be definitive because I don't like being wrong, and then people telling me how wrong I am. But – <laughs> boy i'm like 60 percent sure that was the first mm. time a freshman point guard started wired a freshman point guard who started game one of his a true freshman started game one of the season and then led the team to a national title i feel like that's the first time it happened it's 97 with bibby right probably i think because I, yeah, I don't remember another time i, I think I, isaiah I like was it, a sophomore in 81 with indiana but yeah i, I it, it happened i mean the freshman because, rule helps that, yeah the you know, freshman that. rule helps yeah yeah <laughs> so you could start what what year was that like in the 70s at some point they yeah yeah man uh it's it's uh arizona like you said i think i think you you, you said it perfectly that that west coast basketball and for a lot of people has become a punchline um uh whether it's deserved or not, it's just the reality of the situation. East Coast bias has taken over, and uh, even as great as Gonzaga is every year, they're still scratching clawing for respect. And Arizona and uh, UCLA and Oregon's been great these last few years. And and I still think if if you you put Oregon and someone and one of the East Coast school an ACC or Big Ten or Big East school draws like Oregon as their two seed, they're popping bottles on Selection mm-hmm. Sunday, and they're like, hell yeah, we get the easiest two. You know, West Coast <laughs> basketball, whatever it's become. Um, whether it's deserved or not, that's the reputation it has. But man, back in back in the day when Lute Olson was on the bench, no one was excited to play Arizona. There was not a single person that was like, "Oh hell yeah, we get to play Arizona now." And after after one, they what I think he had two more elite eights. I think in '03 and then obviously in '05 they lose to to Illinois. Mm-hmm. And then they haven't been back since '01, huh? They haven't mm-hmm. been back to the Final Four since 2001. Man. Does that? When did the cactus logo get taken off? Was that around the same? Time? <laughs> yeah, I think, I'm I working think on a theory that like that's an investigation that needs to happen. Yeah, that, I mean that, the, the, the yeah. 20th century was great for Arizona. The 21st century is still waiting to catch up. I mean that's the scary part about college basketball: the transition period of time. Yeah, like, Indiana's lost in the 20th century. Uh, yep. You got to make the leap. Villanova made the leap. Yep. By the way, 01, that in halfway through the season, I think it was on New Year's Day, Bobby Olson, Lute's wife of 47 years, passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, ovarian cancer, I want to say. So you could argue that, like, even the 01 run was just, uh, there, there was some divine intervention there. There was mm-hmm. just, like, some, some Bobby magic. 
uh, that they got him there. So I needed uh, more magic at the is end. Is that did that cement like Coach K being the worst? That, that <laughs> I mean, let Arizona win, K. What are you doing? Yes, let him win. Like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's the moment in time where you look across and you say, "I'm going to be the bigger man today. I'm going to let him yeah. win." Yeah, uh, and that kind of that's a great. I mean, if we can get, <laughs> what would can, Roy do? Roy would Roy would blow the game. Roy yes. would have blown the game. Wear, let, wearing a Jayhawk logo. Let Lou win for for Bobby. Yeah, <laughs> well, good Jayhawk guys. Logo. It's good guys. That's what you got to do. It's Roy comes out with the cat shorts on. <laughs> he's got the, perfect. He's it's on perfect. the sideline of the national title game. Yeah. So uh, I, I remember Lou Olson. I guess the other, only other thing I'd say he had a weird transition from him to who took over was it was it kevin o'neill kevin mm-hmm. o'neill was the, mm-hmm. the head coach right after him right that whole thing was like such a rocky thing and i was as an outsider again i, I don't want to speak on behalf of the people tucson or arizona i'm not doing that i'm just kind of recounting what my thoughts were as all this was happening i remember thinking it was like touch and go as to like what loot's legacy would be because he, he fumbled the ending it felt like because yeah. uh, if you remember he kind of took a leave of absence jim rosborough was his longtime assistant he kind of like shows him the door brings in kevin o'neill rosborough thought he was going to take over for loot he it was like a Mike Hopkins, Bill Guthridge. Here's a fun fact about secession. Everyone thinks that they're the guy. Yeah, that is true. Regardless of being told that they're the guy or or anything, they just somehow think they're the guy. And then people, you know, they they, they goes from there. There's a ripple effect from there. So he brings in Kevin O'Neill. And then Kevin O'Neill also thinks he's going to be the guy. And then... (laughs) Uh, no, it was it was uh, Pinnell took over for him, right? Like Kevin mm-hmm. O'Neill was like the interim, and then Kevin O'Neill thought he was going to be, and there was Russ Pinnell that took over for him. That uh, uh, ultimate God, I can't even remember. That's how crazy it was. It was like O'Neill was like the interim coach because then in Loot going into 08, I want to say he just starts getting all the radic and and talks about like how Kevin O'Neill's not going to be the successor, and uh, and then they say that he had an undiagnosed stroke and like. Man, it felt like every other week there was like a headline coming out of Tucson. Like, what the hell is going on with Ludol? He was going through a divorce, I think. He got, I think he got married right after Bobby died, and then he, he, got, he got divorced pretty quickly right after that. And um, yeah, it was it was just like a wild ending. But uh, you know, I, I think cooler heads prevailed, and like everything kind of stuff came out that I, I that that you know made it 22 straight years to the ncaa tournament i think that's what people will reflect on right yeah that, yeah that, i think that that's record. what yeah <laughs> but i'm just saying i remember like i i guess to, to put a bow on that point i'm trying to make is like no i'm glad like more time passed and he was fondly remembered because like if that stroke that that happened in 08 like ultimately claimed his life i don't know it just felt like a weird time back then like when he when he stepped down from arizona and i guess like if you really think about it that it's it's very rare that coaches go out in positive ways, you know, like most yeah. coaches, yeah. it's all, they almost never get to call their own. It's not like John Wooden where in 75, you won the title and you're just like, all right, that's it. And you waved everyone. Um, that and almost then, never happens. And then like in a Dean Smith case, you call your shot too early and then you regret calling your shot too early. Like, yeah, that was it. Like he was like, I yeah. should have stayed for a few more years. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no like perfect. But know, loot, no uh, loot, you know, he, he, he worked through whatever it was that was going on, like in his personal life with the, the professional life, all that he's, he came, he comes back to games. He's like a, he's a legend. He's the guy sitting seven or eight rows up right at mid court with his arms crossed and, and, you know, everyone, everyone in the building can see him. Everyone's locked in. Every, everyone in the lower level in Tucson has white hair, just like Lute Olson. And yet, exactly. everyone yeah, can still even, point out who Lute Olson is. <laughs> yeah. I will say that in the, in the world of statues, right? You, that's one of your biggest takes, I think, from this program, the new program, is that we don't need any statues. We don't need I any think, statues. I, I think yeah. the McHale Center statue of Lute Olson, where he said they got the hair right. We leave that one. Maybe, maybe we just leave the, the hair. hair. Just leave the hair. Just leave yeah, the hair. Not- 
but we but we leave something there. That's the only thing we can leave. Should we talk about John Thompson, who yes. who passed today? Um, was a little more surprising. But the same with Lou Olson. John Thompson was so far ahead of the curve. Lou Olson was ahead of the curve in the sense that he was a player's coach well before that became the cool thing to do, which is what modern college basketball is. Is like all these coaches want to be the players' best friends. Uh, that was Lou Olson well before anyone else was doing it. John Thompson was the 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 activist well before anyone else. And, and, but I don't, I use that term. Uh, I, I don't know if I love using that term because I don't really feel like John Thompson would like necessarily, but I don't know. I don't know what he would like, but the way he went about it, I guess I want to say this was like in his mind, he wasn't like being a, a, a social justice activist who was like, you know, just, just arguing for arguing sake. And like this, this was his identity. He was like, all he was doing was standing up for what was right. He was just like, this is the, this is wrong. What we have in front of us is stupid and wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, it has a negative impact on my players and my community. And so I'm going to fight against this. And I guess the, the, the differentiation I would make there is like, uh, one of the stories that everyone's talking about today is uh, the, the 1989 protest he had. And it, it comes like us recalling I, that. I will say I, I enjoyed bringing that up and then it started it started going all over it. Like this morning when I was I put that up there and then I was like no one's going to remember this Boston College game and then it mm-hmm. uh the Carnesecca sweater game. I mean basically what yeah. I'm saying is like the old Big East the the power of the old Big East was on full display today with jo- with Big yeah. John because I mean Big John is such a great character and if you watch college basketball you you know Big John but we're so far removed from that and the fact that like he still has such a central place to so many people in the basketball, you know, sphere that it, that was, I think, was the most shocking part, jarring part. The stories just came out from everywhere immediately. That that uh, uh, NBA tonight, that before the playoffs, the TNT crew, they're all wearing towels on their shoulders, and Kenny yep. Smith talking about how John Thompson, uh, when you know, always considered Kenny Smith one of his, and he was confused by it. And he's like, "What? I didn't play for you." And he's like, "Well, I'm I'm tight with Dean, and if <laughs> if you're one of Dean's guys, you're one of my guys." And then Dean Smith passes away, and and John Thompson calls Kenny. He's like, "I guess you're mine now." And yep. um, yeah, yeah, it was never about the on-court stuff with John Thompson, uh, and yeah, but but I was talking about in, in 1989 the the, the Prop 42 yeah. thing, the Prop 48, Prop 42, whatever it was. Uh, Prop 48 says that it, it was the rule that athletes have to. It basically put in the academic requirements. You have to have a certain GPA the SAT threshold. thing we were talking about yes. before. Yeah, and to that point, speaking of being ahead of the curve, this was something in 1989. John Thompson's protesting. 31 years later, the NCAA is now getting around to it, and they're like. It's a good point. Hadn't good thought point, about John. it that way. <laughs> Hadn't thought about it that way, John. And John Thompson probably like rolling his eyes like, "What the hell, man? I was on this. I was on this 1990." But they they passed Prop 42, or they 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 put in Prop 42, which says like if if Prop 48 isn't satisfied, if if a GPA threshold isn't reached, an SAT threshold isn't reached, not only will players not be eligible to play, they will not be eligible to get a scholarship. Yeah. And John Thompson rightfully noted that like this is. Uh, not inherently racist in the sense that, uh, you know, there's not like, there's nothing written into the, the law that says like black people have to score higher than white people or anything like that. But if you just start looking at the systems at play here, you start like saying, now, hang on a second, who is this going to negatively impact? And one of the things that, that I think he should be commended for above like fighting for this sort of thing was to him, it was never a black or white issue. It was a right or wrong issue. And he represented the black community and he did it so well. And he did it uh, kind of on an island for a long time, being like the one prominent black uh, coach in college basketball. But as has been mentioned many times today, he never he never li- liked being called the first black coach that won a title. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm not a black coach. I'm a coach. Just call mm-hmm. me a coach. And um, with the Prop 42 thing happened, I found this quote from 1989. 
he says if he, he, he was talking, he was part of why he was arguing it again was because of the racial undertones. And, and he obviously recruited more black guys than, than white guys. And he kind of, uh, he, he realized that this was going to impact his players more than it would a lot of teams. But he says, if I jump and holler racism, everyone loses sight of the issue and focuses on the words that I use. So when he was describing his problems with it, he didn't make it a black versus white thing because he knew as soon as you do that, you're losing, you're alienating yourself from like, you know, most of the country that is like, Oh, so you're, it's a, it's a black, but you're telling me I'm wrong because I'm white. That was never his thing. He was like, there's right. And there's wrong. This is wrong. And I'm going to address it. And it just so happens to be wrong and negatively impact the black community. You know, with big John and John Thompson in general, I mean, growing up as a North Carolina fan, you, you kind of grew up with them. Like you said, it was like a, an ally force, like where, where you're friendly until you have to play them. And then it's this yeah. frustrating part. Like the 1982 title game is a, the national championship game that I point to, if I say that's college basketball and it's basically big John versus Dean Smith. They're both in, both in their first final four. They're both in new Orleans. They're both nervous. They both have these freshman guys who are mm. unbelievably talented beyond belief. They can't believe that they have them there. They have these two Gastonia guys that are kind of, you know, out of the mud that have become superstars and, and James Worthy and sleepy Floyd and they're on opposing sides. And after the game, you know, big John is, happy for Dean Smith. And I mean, this yeah. is the most competitive time in the world of college basketball. Everyone's going at each other's throats. Everyone is trying to get some sort of advantage on one another. But, you know, two years later, right, John Thompson wins the national championship. And what's so crazy, I kept her hearing this. He's the first, you know, black head coach winning a national championship. And I didn't even know that because it wasn't even like a thing that yeah. was ever touted about John Thompson. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. he would never let that be like the, the, the phrase that would lead who John Thompson was. And I think, you know, just, just kind of piggybacking on what you're saying. I think that's something that's in my mind. And then I remember as a kid, I was 10 years old and we went to DC um, and we're driving up there. We're like doing the tour of the national mall and stuff, you know, I'm 10 year old, you're in fourth yeah. grade. It's the time you do all that. And we went to Georgetown and I <laughs> remember looking at my parents and I'm like, what is this? Where's the other Georgetown? Yeah, I was like, where's the HBCU Georgetown? Yes. Like, we you know, where, yes. where is the, the school? Because I, I, in my mind, Georgetown was like NC Central, which was in Durham, which is close to my yeah. hometown. That was sort of how John Thompson had built one of the most, you know, prestigious private institutions in the nation's capital. People thought was an HBCU because of the, the way that they handled themselves with the program. The fact that Big John was the face of the program. And I think it was so crazy in retrospect with the way that we kind of break down everything is like that was groundbreaking whatever whatever big john was just doing it he was winning it i mean uh, a friend of the program tommy massimino his grandpa raleigh massimino beats georgetown in 1985 it should have been back-to-back -back titles and yep. you know john thompson's like texting him like you fucker you know what i mean like <laughs> it, it, like these are these are the like wait he was texting him in 85 in 85 he was texting, he texting him. Yeah. but like that that is like the time yeah. uh like that is who big john was he was a competitor but like you said people meant more than basketball he always yeah, he had the right the perspective picture. on things yeah. and yeah. uh I, I mean georgetown is also like he had 35 wins and most in program history just like lute olsen they, they hit these pinnacles with these guys and yeah. you hope that they can get back there, but also who cares if they get back who there? Cares? Because we had, yeah. we had the peak, we had, yeah. we had the best and he's ours and he will forever live on. And I think that's the great thing about big John. I'm glad you brought up thinking Georgetown is at HBCU. That's been uh, a revelation for me today and seeing a lot, a lot of people that shared that sentiment and like recalling the John in North Thompson. Carolina. I mean, I'm I telling thought, you that that's just what it was. Like, that's what I thought it was. I would say in the same way that the Arizona shorts were like, like the cool kids uh, at camp, I always felt like 
the the Georgetown at, at least amongst the the black friends that I had growing up like I, I knew so many so many black dudes I knew on um, basketball teams or whatever will wear Georgetown stuff and I would ask him like are you a Georgetown fan they're like not really like it's just <laughs> it's it's less about like yeah. the Georgetown Hoyas basketball team and more about the, the brand. culture and the brand of like yeah. what Georgetown is because yeah the the fact that that you and I both thought they were at HBCU is not a coincidence it's because John Thompson was so invested in the black community and and was so invested in guys like like Patrick Ewing who uh, kid born in Jamaica, raised in most of his life in Jamaica, moves to Boston. The racism is is I mean I, I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, as you might it's imagine otherworldly. Otherworldly. Yeah. Uh, he's in 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 through his high school years. Uh, he he announces he's going to he does the visit to North Carolina. The the story goes he he sees a KKK rally and wanted to go yep. play for Dean Smith, but was turned yep. off by that. And yeah, Dean Smith's like you don't need to play here. And then yeah, and then he announces he's going to Georgetown at a. Uh, uh, somewhere in Boston, like at his high school or whatever, and there were people in the crowd that like want him to go to Boston College or Boston University. They just get up and leave, and they were just like, "Screw this kid!" Like whatever. And the fact that like John Thompson welcomes that, like obviously it's it's easy to welcome a guy like Patrick Ewing when he's the best player in the country and all that. But you know, just the fact that like John Thompson was a guy that could look Patrick Ewing in the eye and say, "I understand what you're going through, and I actually do." And no other coach in this country is going to. They'll tell you that they're 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 not they're not telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. I know what you're going through. Uh, I will shield you from that. I will, you know, like come play for me and like I'll be the lightning rod for racism and, and hatred from opposing fan bases so you don't have to be, which yep. it, it didn't exactly work out that way. But uh, that that was admirable about him. And like he, he, he carried that burden, not only for his players, but for other coaches. And for uh, for the longest time, he was, as much as we keep saying that he didn't really necessarily love to be referred to as like the first black coach to win or whatever, but he was like the prominent black coach in college basketball. He was the guy. He was the guy mm-hmm. in the room. He was the one voice in these Big East meetings when all these coaches, Jim Calhoun and Jim Beheim, and on down the line, all these legends of the game are, are talking about issues plaguing their conference and how do we make the conference better and all this kind of stuff. John Thompson's the only guy that was speaking up for – because he's the only guy that, like, knew. He's, only, he's, he's the one voice in the room that's different from all the other voices. And I, I just think, like, the fact that he carried this burden for so long and uh, – he had to be the face of this. I don't know if movement's the right word, but just the, 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 the face of the black community and Georgetown basketball became like the brand and all that kind of stuff. And he was doing it alone. And at no point did he waver is, is just, it's, it's amazing, man. It's like just so crazy to think back on that. Like at no point was he like, maybe I should change course. Maybe I should, you know, recruit more white guys and like maybe the Georgetown, all the Georgetown alumni who all seem to be white, are, are upset with me because my team is all black. Like maybe I should cater to them a little more. At no point was he saying I should, should listen to other people. I know what I'm here to do. I care about my team. I care about my players. I care about these causes. And he just stayed true to that all the way through. And uh, I don't know, there, there's a lesson in there. And the lesson is stick to your convictions, man. Cause that's uh, that that's, that's what I think of when I think of John Thompson is like a guy like that, that like at every turn of his career, he was told you're wrong. You're doing the mm-hmm. wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You should do it this other way. And he was like, actually, I think you're wrong, sir. And then yeah. in the end, he proved to be right all along, you know? It, and, and it kind of comes all together with the Lou Carnesecca sweater, you know what I mean? He's like, everyone's like, don't wear that sweater. That's Lou's sweater. That's what Lou does. And he's like, no, I can wear this sweater. I can do whatever I want to. And I'm going to punk whoever in this league because we're the best team in this league. I'm not afraid to say we're the best in this league. And even when he walks out of the Boston College game, like you brought up, I mean, when that moment happens, it, there's 15,000 people apparently that give him a standing ovation. 
Like yeah. if that happened today, if if yeah. Doc Rivers does that yeah. and walks out of a game and says I'm not going to coach, I don't think <laughs> yeah. that's going to be the reaction. A lot of, a lot of it, Twitter eggs are. Uh, upset they're going to be one. upset about. Play that. Travis's yeah. mentions are going crazy. Crazy. Doug Gottlieb's going at us, <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, Big John, uh, that that moment, like those moments in time, like I watched his interview from the 1987 uh, Final Four, and it's Providence is playing Syracuse, and it's Big John and Dean Smith, and they're talking to each other, and they're interviewed by Jim Nance, and Jim Nance is being serious. He's a capital J mm. in this moment. <laughs> He's like, they're doing, you know, steroid. They're doing drug testing now in college basketball. Your thoughts, Dean Smith? And Dean Smith's basically like, well, you know. Uh, the, the, I, I don't think it's right, but, you know, we're just trying to play basketball. It's for the kids, you know, and leans over and keeps <laughs> watching the game. And uh, Big John's like, I think it's horrible. Like, I think it, you know what I mean? Like, I think I think it's taking it a step too far. Like, these, these, these kids, like, if it's a, an, an issue, then, yes, that could be the case. But it was one of those moments in time where, like, these two great coaches are here to kind of, like, play the yeah. game like we see today. You're supposed like, to kiss you know, the ring. You're supposed kiss to kiss the ring. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Final Four is going on. We're back in New Orleans. Last time we were here, you guys were in the Final yeah. Four. Let's do this whole thing. But they were still on the forefront of defending the kids. And, they were, yeah. and, and like, we joke about that now. We hear all the coaches say this is for the kids. Like, John Thompson and, and Dean Smith, I mean, were doing that. And John Thompson was doing it against a lot more hate than Dean Smith. Dean Smith could obviously yeah. – you could hide behind something just being a, a whitehead basketball coach. John Thompson is going to get the brunt of that from people. But they were on the forefront of those issues. And when Dean Smith retires, John Thompson flies down to be there for him. Mm-hmm. When Dean Smith dies, John Thompson's mm-hmm. there two hours before the service and sits in a pew crying mm-hmm. by himself. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys were going through some crazy stuff in the United States of America, and it was all being funneled through the game of college basketball. And they dealt with things that – I mean, Dean Smith was talking about the like the death penalty in North Carolina by the end of his career. You know what I mean? They were dealing yeah. with stuff that was so heavy – so outside of college basketball and they were handling it all with so much grace and John Thompson yeah. when I think of him it's just like a gentle giant like it, there's so much grace there's obviously so much passion and fire and that man, came out when he played basketball but it, the grace is unbelievable it's at another level grace and under fire too because it's like yeah. not only do you have grace but like he had every like like you said it was Dean Smith had grace but it's a little easier for Dean Smith to have grace when yeah uh, exactly you know, it's a little bit easier like, let's just be yeah. honest about it it's a little yeah. easier yeah, John. Uh, we we should mention the Allen Iverson thing too because uh, that yeah, that's been saved his life. Everyone's talking about that story, and Allen Iverson says in his Hall of Fame speech he saved his life. And the story goes, Allen Iverson when he was in high school got into a, the fight in the bowling alley and uh, was just mixed up with the wrong crowd and gets gets literally convicted of a felony. He's yep. convicted of a felony in 1993. I think he's 17 years old. Um, he's an all-star football player, all-star basketball player. Could go anywhere in the country to play either one. Uh, and all the scholarship offers dry up and the phone stops ringing because Allen Iverson's a convicted felon. It eventually gets overturned, insufficient evidence. And and if you go back and look at the case, like there's a a, a, a lot of evidence points to like the, that they were trying to just make an example out of Iverson. And uh, yep. there's a lot of racial undertones with what was whatever point is everyone kind of gave up on Iverson. John Thompson was like, I'm not giving up on you because like th- that was that was just how he was wired, man. It was like, you, 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 he understands like the plight of, of people like Allen Iverson that like what happens typically is the rest of society gives up on that kid. That kid gets involved. He, instead of getting away from the wrong crowd that got him in that situation, he doubles down. He gets more entrenched into that wrong crowd. And that's probably, you know, that's why Allen Iverson says he saved his life because it was pretty clear what direction Allen Iverson's life was headed towards until John Thompson said, I see, I see your flaws. I see the decisions you've made that aren't great. And I still accept you. And I still want you to play for my basketball team. It also helps you're good as shit. <laughs> but, but you know, like I, it, yeah. it generally was like everyone else has given up on you. I, 
again, I can look Allen Iverson in the eye and say, I understand the system at play. I understand what's going on here. I, I believe in you. Believe in me and come to Georgetown and don't make an ass of yourself. And that's how we got Allen Iverson. And after I was 11 years old and went to Georgetown one time, the fact that Allen Iverson from the Tidewater area in Hampton, Virginia, and if you've been down to Newport News or Hampton, you know that whole area, the fact that John Thompson's like, I'm going to take you and pluck you out of this place and put you in Georgetown. Yeah. And, and then I'm going to empower you to be, end up becoming the number one pick, the guy that's going to cross up Michael Jordan and kind of like pass the torch in basketball. Yeah. I mean, that is, like, like you said, I mean, he's three years, like in 1993, he could be a felon, and we don't see the 1996 draft, and we don't see right. this whole moment, and we don't see AI become and, AI. And, and that's because John Thompson believes in somebody, and that's because AI believed in him. And like, then, I mean, John, and two then ways. dude, I mean, maybe I'm just extrapolating this too far and I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here, but the fact that AI then goes to, I, 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 you know, I would argue it's probably not a coincidence that Allen Iverson then goes to the NBA and becomes like a counterculture guy himself and becomes like a guy who leans into, I mean, the cornrows and the tattoos and the chains that he'd wear, like his whole style was like shocking to, to middle America. You but know? those like, were that's his not convictions. It, it wasn't yeah, an act. That's, and that's, yeah, the that's thing. what I mean. And like, yeah. I, I, you know, if he doesn't play for John, maybe, Maybe, again, I'm drawing lines where you shouldn't draw the lines, but the way – it would make a lot of sense to me that he he kind of like saw how John Thompson carried himself and was true to himself and was like, stay on my course. Like I can I can, I can, can wear braids and tattoos and, all, and headbands and all that stuff, and it doesn't make me a piece of shit. Like I don't have to conform to like what people want me to be. Like if that's what I want to be, that's what I'll be, and I'll be great and everyone will love me, and that's exactly what happened. And he completely changed it. He made, he made idiots like you and I like wear like – finger things on our on our hands when we would play basketball because we're like I don't yeah. know if Allen Iverson does it I'm gonna do it too and <laughs> yeah like he made he made white kids all across middle America like wear baggy shorts and try to cross guys over when we big had, t-shirts and <laughs> <laughs> no coordination like just, whatsoever yeah yeah looking ridiculous and we're like we're shooters we gotta we gotta roll these sleeves up uh I guess I guess in summation uh John Thompson and Lute Olsen to me both are guys who if if one of their former players needed a kidney and i guess didn't didn't sean elliott actually need a kidney yeah i think so that i was guess a, i don't know if that's a great whatever I'm, i don't know if that's a great hypothetical but the point i'm making is if one of their former players came to them and was like coach i need a kidney they would both like grab a steak knife and just cut it out of them and hand it to them right like on the spot like that's how mm-hmm. they're wired and i think if you're a cynic i i still believe in college basketball coaches i still think there are a lot of good ones out there but a cynic would look at the landscape of college basketball right now and say most of these guys are in it for themselves. Most of these guys are, are dropping bags and not because they care about helping their kids' futures. It's so they can get the next big contract and they can whatever, whatever. And whether that's true or not, one thing you can't deny is back in the day, this, this group of coaches, guys like John Thompson, guys like Ud Olson, were cut from that cloth where they genuinely cared. Of course they like making money. Of course they like winning championships. Of course they had egos themselves. But – it was always about their players and that's what, that's what motivated them. That's what got them out of bed in the morning. And that's the kind of coach that gets me excited about college basketball and and they have different ways of doing it. I think Bob Knight was the same way. Dean Smith was the same way. It's all over the spectrum. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. But the one thing that should be non-negotiable is that the kids, that the players always matter more than anything else. And both those guys were the epitome of that. And they would fight for those players always. And I think like the greatest ability that he had was accountability. And I think Big John is always going to be accountable to like what his voice is and what his place is and stand up for those guys. And, and I mean, Patrick Ewing, Dikembe Mutombo, I mean, the, the Alonzo Mourning, obviously, like the, the list of guys that even went to Georgetown and all are in that family. Same with Arizona. Like you said, when you list the guys out, it kind of just is a statement in and of itself. It's like, wow, 
look at the type of personalities and the type of people and players that went through this program but had the same opinion of this person right right like, that says a lot like a lot of people had different experiences and they they went through different years but they look back on their time and they say that coach cared about me and put me in a position to succeed and cared about my well-being above anything else and like it, it doesn't sell that hard, but it is hard to find in yeah. college basketball. Yeah, it is. It's it's yeah. unfortunately uh, way too hard to find. Um, I, I was thinking about this because Arizona and Georgetown both, I feel like Lute Olsen and John Thompson were almost too good to where both of those programs are still chasing mm -hmm. what those guys built. Yeah, the ghost of, of greatness. Yeah, the ghost of greatness. And that's like a that's a wild phenomenon too because you start like looking around the landscape of college basketball. And I mean, Indiana fits in the same – I mean – Obviously, yeah. Indiana has, has UCLA had good team. UCLA is kind of in the. I mean, they won in '95 without Wooden, but it's sort of the same thing. But it was like, still a wooden. It was like a wooden yeah. fallover. It was and even really even Ben Howland going to the Final Four is he gets fired a few years later because they're like, you're still not John Wooden. Ben, get out of here. We're, we're, we're waiting for John Wooden. Thank God we found him with Mick Cronin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it you, you start like looking at the landscape, and there's not a lot, man. I'd say Kentucky's one that that's figured it out. Like Adolf uh, uh, Rupp leaves and. Um, they, they Kentucky's kind of Kentucky, no matter who's there. Unless well, you, you know what's wild about Kentucky is like John Calipari is going to change the history where he's going to be the first time I feel like they're able. I mean, maybe Roy Williams does this at some point, but like to pass the torch from like you had this guy that built the program, and then like he's yeah. not the number one guy anymore. You know, like John Calipari, if he actually does for ten more years, do what he's doing. Kentucky may just pass that torch and say, when you think of Kentucky basketball, you think of you John, think of John Calipari. Calipari. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, Kentucky and Carolina are the two obvious ones, uh, Roy. But Roy even, you know, like you said, Roy was kind of in the deep yeah. family. Yeah. So, like, like Georgetown, part of the problem they're having uh, is they, John Thompson was so massive to that school and such a big deal to that school that they can't get out of the John Thompson family. They refuse to do it. I mean, <laughs> you know, for better or worse, they want, they're, they're in bed with the John Thompson culture forever. Um and can you can you hit lightning? Can lightning strike twice, or do you need to do a hard pivot and go somewhere else? I don't I don't know what the answer is, but uh, North Carolina stayed in the family, so mm -hmm. that's interesting. I, but I, I think they count. They figured it out. They after life after Dean Smith has been pretty good for the Tar Heels. Uh, Villanova, Raleigh Massimino, you know, obviously was a, is a legend there. Jay Wright, I would argue, is just as big, probably bigger at this point, right? <laughs> That's um, Jay Wright is definitely Villanova's Villanova and Kentucky are both of those examples where they're Louisville like, would be a good one, I guess. Like Denny Crum to and then Patino. <laughs> Denny I mean, Crum's got that one. I think he's still, got they, it. they still <laughs> I guess I guess they didn't win a title. I guess the twenty thirteen doesn't count. But I mean yeah. Louisville basketball is still like yeah. That, but like no one in Louisville is like we're chasing the ghost of Denny Crum anymore, right? <laughs> I don't think Surely. so. I don't think they're chasing the doctors of dunk. They might be though. That'd be great if they were. They're chasing the glory days when Papa John and Rick Pitino were all best buds and um, all that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was just thinking about it, and and you look around the landscape and the, of the the coaches that are that are icons now, and it's kind of a conversation we've had before about like Coach K and Duke, for example. I mean, that's the obvious <laughs> one. Is like, is Duke a great basketball program, or is Coach K just Coach K? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, obviously, you want to say Duke's a great program, but like Arizona fans were saying the same thing, and it's not to say Arizona basketball now is not as good, but like. You know, you ask any Arizona fan living right now, 
is Sean Miller, Lute Olson, they can't answer without laughing. Like, they're going to be like, get out of my face. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me, like, yeah. like when Jerry Krause said that in the last dance, like, organizations win basketball games, you know what I mean, or win championships. It, it's kind of yeah. like that. It's like, Duke does not win championships. Mike Krzyzewski, uh, by proxy, wins championships for Duke. You know what I yeah, mean? And yeah, yeah. Like, and that, that, who knows what that relationship will look what's, like on the other side. What's going to happen to Syracuse when Bayheim leaves? What's going to happen? I would say Michigan State even fall. I know Judd Heathcote, everyone likes to pretend like he was a, a legend. He had Magic Johnson, and if you look at like what that guy did without magic johnson it's like come on i mean i don't mean to pile on the guy but like he's not like a college basketball icon of magic johnson doesn't he doesn't have magic johnson growing up in his backyard no one remembers that guy's name <laughs> it's kind of like john wooden yeah yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm uh yeah ucla yeah. fans are hot right now yeah, this is yeah, their worst yeah. episode ever they're like can we please stop yeah so like Izzo, I'd, I'd say he fits in that category i think yes. they're gonna be fine of you know you 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 assume that all these schools are gonna be fine but are they i don't know gonzaga is, is gonzaga gonna be gonzaga when mark few leaves is west virginia gonna be west virginia when bob huggins leaves? what where is the crop of guys like i mean i always read these stories about in the 80s like you, you hear about like the five-star camp or the abcd camp or you know bc camp whatever it is and you you see like the list of coaches that were all there and you look at the ages and it's like john calipari's 22 rick patino's 27 you know george ravling's 30 like all all these guys are so young and there's this young crop of guys around knowledge and around the game of basketball and i feel like now the people that are around the knowledge of the game of basketball are like social media people and like uh cameramen you know what mm-hmm. i mean like they're, they're, like where like where is the crop of like young coaches that are being groomed by these guys like where they're passing yeah. the torch other than former players because it does I, seem like coach k is doing it through former players yeah, yeah. roy williams doing it through former players but like is there just like young coaches that are where around? are the educators where are the guys where are the that, teachers like, where are the teachers where are the guys yeah. with the pe degrees that are <laughs> yeah <laughs> that are going to teach guys how to wear their socks honestly, and all that honestly kind of it's opening the door up for us to go in i think and, you're right sell I think the idea yeah. of building a brand because right. we've seen it work before it just happened in the time of cable television and uh no cell phones and all that sort of stuff but like we can sell still bring it up again we can sell uh some athletic director on nostalgia we can say that we are we we are we are just plucked from the wrong what if like, we guarantee that we will do everything that john thompson or, or Luke, like yes. whoever was the like we just do we, we just got a specific coach and we're like we're just gonna do it by their book this yeah. isn't my book this is or, by John Thompson. Yeah, and then we pivot and like we get we, we do it at like John Thompson. We get fired after two years because they realize yeah. like we have no idea what the hell we're doing. So then yep. we just like we're so then we go try to get a new job and our pitch is we're going to be Dean Smith. And then we get fired <laughs> after two years and then we're like, all right, we're going to try uh, Bob Knight this time. Yeah, like hard nose. We're going to be hard nose this time. <laughs> and then we just keep trying to. Uh, I thought of a couple more because the, the fans are going to be Please. mad at me. Uh, uh, Kansas definitely counts, mm. right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You go, you go Fog Allen and. Roy, there are a few in between. Obviously, Larry Brown's in there, and then Roy Witt. The point is, like, kind of whoever takes over at Kansas. Probably. I think Bill Self has Kansas a chance be to be like, if Bill Self stays at Kansas and they win maybe two more titles, Bill Self has the John Calipari, Jay Wright situation there, where Fog Allen's too far removed. Where we, we obviously recognize Fog, you know, they they, yeah. they recognize Rupp or whatever at Kentucky. You know that's questionable, but 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 like that moment in time, they're going to be like, all right, now Bill Self is the guy. All right, now. It should be yeah. Larry Brown. It should be Larry Brown. Uh, in my mind, it should be Fog Allen, Larry Brown, Danny one. Manning, Roy Williams, and then I, I think I think Bill Self has to win another one to be like uh, uh, an absolute icon. I think he's beloved, obviously, but he's only he only won one, and it took a miracle shot to win it. And mm-hmm. um, I think he needs another one. Let's get Bill. It was going to happen this year, wasn't it? It was this year. I actually, I think he's got year. two. In my mind, he's in got two. <laughs> he's already got two. Uh, Maryland counts as well, right? Gary Williams taking Oof. over after Lefty Drizel. 
Yeah. Lefty Drizel had like the shadow and like there could lefty have been a... still wins because again, Lefty did it for the players. Like no, I, left... you're misunderstanding. I think I think we're we're having two different discussions. I just mean like <laughs> I don't mean like the guy t- who takes over is just as good as the first guy or like is is a better coach. Whatever. I'm t- I'm just talking like the, the legend chance. retires yeah, and the whole yeah, fan base goes, ah shit. Mm-hmm. Are we ever going to be able to touch that again? And then at some point, another guy comes in and is like, I can take you there. Don't worry. And I think that happened with Maryland, right? Like Gary Williams yep. took them there. He took them won, there. They won a title. Yeah, yeah. Mark Turgeon, still TED. So I'm curious, Arizona, Georgetown. Like, will Arizona or Georgetown ever be Arizona and Georgetown as we know them again? I think the obvious answer is yes. But do we – like, it does, it, does it always work that way? I don't know. Here, here's, here's the exercise, I guess. Uh, between, like, so let's say Duke – Michigan State, um, we'll throw – obviously, Syracuse has to be thrown in there. Hughes is um, the one. I think Hughes is the real interesting who, one. Who – West Virginia. I get <laughs> – how about Florida State, dude? I just thought of Leonard Hamilton. Oh, Coach Ham. Is Florida State basketball – like, when Leonard Hamilton steps down, is Florida State basketball to just disappear forever? I, throw Florida State out. They don't count. <laughs> Let's say Duke, Syracuse, Michigan State, Gonzaga, West Virginia. Who, like, when they're, that coach leaves, are you saying – Oh boy, that's gonna be tough. I, Gonzaga I, I, is the real. Gotta answer. be Gonzaga. Right? Yeah, Gonzaga is like the real answer because I'm I'm at the point now where I want to give a straight answer so I don't get yelled at or, or whatever. <laughs> so the straight answer is Gonzaga. Yeah. The answer, the real answer after that is Syracuse because uh, I think so too. Yeah. What it what is the sell? I mean, uh, look, Lou, our producer right now is in arms because I'm I'm throwing out Syracuse, but like Jim Beheim is Syracuse basketball in my mind. I mean, it's sort of like what UConn is doing right now. They're trying to use yeah, UConn's Calhoun. another good example of like they're trying to get the Calhoun. They're trying to use it back. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to use it, but what is it really? Um, without that guy there on the sideline. I mean, the good news is that Buddy Beheim is being groomed to be probably like a player coach uh, in a few years. <laughs> so he can just like slide in and take over. Mike but Hopkins is coming back, right? There's, I mean, there's a good one. There's a chance. Yeah, Gonzaga feels like it could be UNLV with Tarkanian. Like, uh, they're they're the hot team. They're the, they're like the counter team. I, I I don't know if I'm even using that term correctly, <laughs> but like UNLV was like not a flash in the pan, but like obviously it was UCLA was a big brand. Arizona was the big like institution out West and then UNLV kind of popped up and Jerry Tarkanian was winning a national title and like had that run. And it's like, Oh my God. And then just as fast as they pop up, they kind of go away. Is Gonzaga going to do that with few? I don't know. I, I think, uh, the answer is probably yes, but Syracuse is a, Syracuse is a good one because Beheim. I mean, Syracuse fans will tell you like I. It, it's so weird like reading about Syracuse or, or hearing Syracuse people talk about Syracuse and how much they just like shit on the city of Syracuse and how it's just like it's so cold here. It snows all the time here. There's nothing to do here. That's why we love the Orange so much. They they always like try to <laughs> then they put the positive spin at the end. They're like this city is a shit. This is all we got. Yeah, and that's why we love the Orange so much. Yeah, Buffalo like, Bills fans. I'm like yeah. I'm fall. I'm tracking that, but you also have a coach who's like from the area and he can sell that to people because he's <laughs> it's, from there. It, yeah, it's but like are you like, nagging me yeah. into liking this <laughs> yeah, team? <laughs> yeah, but you get a guy who's like using Syracuse just because he's like enamored by the brand that is Syracuse, and he gets yeah. there and he looks around. And he's like, what the. He, he, here's the answer. Here's how we solve the the old Big East issue. We get Bob Hurley to go to Syracuse, and then it's Ooh. Dan Hurley Ooh, at UConn and yes. Bob Hurley at Syracuse, yes. and then it's the Hurley Brothers showdown. That's the fix. That's the old Big East fix. I love it. I love it. That's that's what we do here. That's what we do. I here. love it. That's a that's a that's a great move. Oh, shout out Arkansas as well. That came to mind too. Nolan Richardson mm. uh, built some at Arkansas, and they haven't. I don't think they've been to the Sweet Sixteen since Nolan Richardson left. <laughs> Anyway, they've uh, had some great teams, though. I mean, that's the thing. Arkansas is a terrifying team in the tournament, always. 
That's I say a, that as a North Carolina fan. We should turn this into a bit. Is it a good program or is he just a good coach? <laughs> <laughs> we just go through. And we're like, all, all right, right, Texas all Tech. Right, all Texas right. Tech, good no, program here, or just a good coach? Let's start with it. Baylor, good program, <laughs> good, good coach. Program. Good program or good coach? Or let's, neither, or neither. We don't know. We don't that's know. a great – we should uh, – let's put a pin in that. We'll revisit that one. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break, come back, and do some uh, cleanup duty with playoff stuff and – the battle in the bubble and all that nonsense. The NCAA is back. Quick break to talk about our friends at Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered you are, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from both your workouts and the normal stressors of life. Uh, I use Whoop. I, I wear it all the time. We've talked about it many times on this program. Uh, I, I have been giving updates on my level of fitness state, and I just want to say, as of right now, at this current juncture, it is the end of August. And uh, I'm very upset with Whoop because Whoop is basically telling me that I'm a lazy piece of shit. And, no, uh, yeah, stop it, Whoop. That's I, I. I need Whoop is holding me accountable, and I don't like <laughs> it because I don't like being held accountable. But I, mm-hmm. I'm not. But I will say they soften the language because they say I got my report like a first like big monthly report, and they said that I was conserving energy, which I thought was like a really nice way to say you're a lazy fat ass, which is mm-hmm. you know because I've been been a little too lazy lately, but uh. Yeah, but I appreciate it nonetheless. I appreciate the way they're 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 good motivators. You know what I mean? Like mm. they they motivate you, but they don't put you down. Uh, but that's what I got going on right now. Whoop is offering fifteen percent off when you use the code Titus at checkout. Go to whoop.com, w h o o p dot com, and enter code Titus. That is T I T U S. Don't forget the U to save fifteen percent. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop today. And we're also brought to you by First Leaf. Picture this: you're at home finishing a glass of wine, and just as you're about to pour another. It happens. The realization you're all out and there's no backup bottle. I call that no venophobia, the fear of running out of wine. Thanks to First Leaf, I get personalized boxes of wine shipped right to my door. Uh, you know, just for a normal night when you're just cooking food or hanging out, watching, you know, I'm watching Top Boy right now on Netflix. It's a great show. Can I just say First Leaf sent yeah. me a bunch of wine and uh, I, I got, I've gotten two shipments now, two of six bottles each. Mm. And uh, on this latest shipment, Three of the bottles were – I had Kyle stay at my place while mm. I was out of town. Stolen. I had him watch Moses. I, I told him drink or eat whatever you want because I figured like he would be reasonable. The man mm. had three of my bottles of wine to eat. I need more First Leaf. Kyle has, Kyle has rated Kyle, me. Over, over the course of two days, this man had three bottles of my wine. And it's quality wine, so charge it's the crazy. guy. Yeah, I know. Charge that man. I'm sending him an invoice. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, you can start. To, you can also start by taking a quick quiz to assess your wine drinking preferences. Uh, then First Leaf will send you six expertly picked bottles of wine based on your answers. Here's the cool part: First Leaf uses your ratings and feedback to refine future shipments. Just give each bottle a thumbs up or thumbs down online, and First Leaf will take care of the rest. You can also choose what types of wine you want in your next box. Subscriptions are super flexible. I can choose when and how often I get ship. I get shipments. First Leaf has a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee so if you receive a bottle you aren't into first leaf will cover the cost sign up today to get six bottles of wine for only 29.95 plus free shipping for a year just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash tate that's six bottles of wine for only 29.95 and free shipping for an entire year at tryfirstleaf.com slash tate and before we get back to the podcast we have one more sponsor today we are brought to you by nitsa everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk You could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the U.S. die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. 
Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet too. You could get arrested and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Designate a sober driver or call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Back to the podcast. All right, before we wrap this up, uh, we got to talk about this trademark news coming out of the NCAA. They have, they've officially trademarked the phrase battle in the bubble, um, which my mind immediately went to what we were talking about last show, which is the battle for Atlantis, Maui Invitational, kind of coming together. In synergy. Yeah. The word is synergy. Is that going to be the battle for the bubble, battle in the bubble? Um, I don't think so because I don't think the NCA sanctions that uh, would sanction that event. So I think the battle in the bubble, the implication here is that it's going to be used for the NCA tournament, which would suggest that the NCA tournament is going to be conducted via bubbles. It's happening. Is it not happening with pods though? Is that the question? There, I, I believe that there will be pods within the bubble. Okay. Uh, I, th- I think this is good news for bubble supporters, uh, you especially, uh, this program especially. I think the idea that the NCAA did not suspect that so many people would go crazy about this filing, or maybe yeah. they did. Maybe this was like a, a thing that they leaked that to see what people think about it. The bubble will work, I believe, if they do everything the NBA is doing. Do we believe that they will do everything the NBA is doing? That is the question, and uh, I don't, I don't want to get into the weeds of that. I just want to get into the weeds of Battle of the Bubble was very generic. I think, uh, you know, I, I just can't believe that was what the final decision was. I think that I even threw that out on a show uh, at some point, just like as a generic thing to say, like let's hold that there, <laughs> and then that became it's what it was. Assist. Yeah, uh, but 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 people are upset because they're like, I came up with this idea. We need to all stand here and say we want better. Like March Madness hits. Has a certain level of, mm, that's yeah, it. March, yeah. Bubble. Battle in the bubble is not doing that. We already have a, we have a better battle in the bubble right uh, now. It's let me let me do a thesaurus. I'm gonna do this off the cuff here. I'm pulling up the thesaurus for madness. What, what can we find that starts with B? I'm trying to think of a madness bubble. Uh, <laughs> nothing as it turns out <laughs> yeah bubble bubble, bubble. Insanity. bubble but does it have to have alliteration like that's that's the question like does it have to i mean march madness obviously is alliteration it works we yeah. get the ma. yeah um but yeah, battle but- in the bubble is not for me mark titus that's all i'm gonna say on this uh i i, I you know trademark and all is great the idea that they're thinking about the tournament right now and they're thinking about filing a trademark right now is all good and dandy but I just don't like the marketing behind it, and uh, I don't I don't know what it's going to look like. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find a good. Uh, <laughs> See, maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe that's not. what happened at the meeting. Maybe, they were all maybe there. hold on, hold on. What about P? What if we did? Let me go back. Let me pull this back up. What if they do P? You know, like what oh, if we pods. do? We do pod. Fuck my app. Power to the pods. <laughs> my app just crashed. Damn it. <laughs> I need a new thesaurus app. Who knew? Uh, uh, what do we got? Psychosis. That doesn't. That's mm. doesn't. That's not a. What, mm. Paranoia, pod paranoia. <laughs> honestly, pod paranoia. Honestly, right. that that's a double entendre because like being in a bubble or a pod for that long away from yeah. your family, just playing basketball. Pod paranoia, pod psychosis. Psychosis doesn't work because it's not a literate. It's, it's it's a silent p, so it had mm. to be pod paranoia. Whatever. <laughs> Maybe All you right. just say the p. Yeah. <laughs> pod <laughs> pod psychosis. Uh, so I saw this uh, Darren Rovell or uh. uh guy that exists in the world um wrote an article about this because he's like the only guy that would 
care about trademarks. <laughs> uh, and in it, he mentioned all the other trademarks that the NCAA has for college basketball. So uh, March Madness is one. Final Four is officially trademarked. Obviously, they have to be probably, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Elite Eight. This one's interesting, though. NCAA Sweet 16. Sweet 16 itself is not trademarked. I believe MTV might have a claim to that one. No, it's public domain. It's public oh, it really? domain. You, you can't do it because it's like, you know, we all know it. It's not specific. Oh, all right. Kind of like Kleenex. Uh, you know, it's a tissue. So wait, so how does that work? So like the show Sweet 16, that was on ES- or ESPN. On a- it's my TV. super Sweet 16. Oh, is it? Is that what yeah. they call it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Clever. <laughs> Clever, you lawyer. You interview lawyers, you. Uh, there's this one, too. 68 teams, one dream. You want to talk about things that don't pop. Like, what? Yeah, my goodness. Who paid for that? Throw that one out. Yeah. yeah, throw that one. But yeah, <laughs> do not renew. When that one comes up and you get the notice, like, hey, your, your bill yeah. is due for trademark, just let that one, let that one go. Uh, and then there were four. You can't say that. We can't legally say that without – Paying the NCAA, I guess. And then there were four. Weird, huh? I can't believe they got away with that one. Uh, <laughs> we could say it, but we could say it's a different four, like the golf four. Wait, why why is why is like the Super Bowl, why are they such hard asses? Why is the NFL such hard asses? Like you can't say Super Bowl, but like I think it's a lot of PR around it. I think they like yeah. the idea that they could sue you okay. to like to like kind of flex like we have a legal team that even if you say it, this legal team will just so like, like pop up. That's magically. what I mean. Does the same law not apply to like Final Four where like if you and I started talking like we were advertising like, no hey, the good we're news do a is final that four they, they like, haven't listened to our show yet yeah, no one listens to our show yet, <laughs> well, they haven't listened to it i don't know who's yeah. listening but not them and as soon as they do whew. uh there there are a few more here road to the final four i like that one they put that one on uh you know yeah, that yeah that's on the banners that yeah that's cool. a good one yeah history happens here is trademarked by the NCAA, and I feel like the History Channel has a claim to this. And I don't. I, I that Ooh. history happens here. It's like, come on, history uh, happens. Hi- history Channel is history happened here. Happened here. Okay. <laughs> history. I mean, literally by definition, history happens everywhere. Literally everywhere. So depends what? on your definition of history. Also, you own like. history. <laughs> what, come on, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, and then finally, the road starts here, and the road ends here. So I guess if you're going on a road trip and you're giving directions to somebody, you can't you you can't say the road starts here. You can't literally like or what, what like the Amazing Race. If like they're doing the mm. show, the Amazing Race, and you say the phrase the road starts here, bam, lawsuit on your hands, cease and desist. The race starts here. I, I just want to stand there and just give them the, the alternatives that they could use. Man, um, any playoff thing you want to talk about? I I uh, I know you're locked in. I know you're uh, you're you're NBA guru over here. Anything uh, anything you want to hit? I'm just saying uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, you know, we keep talking about mm-hmm. this. Or we joked about it in the last episode about how ridiculous it is. And it keeps getting more ridiculous where the stats, they need to, we need to do some sort of disclaimer. They have done it for uh, like Google. If you search for a game in a box score, it says underneath it like games played without fans. So it's a nice little disclaimer. But in the actual stats of this playoff, I need that because yeah. these two guys are going to break every single record. Uh, they also are just too nice to each other, too. Like when both of them goes off, they just compliment the other person. I need yeah. that competitive fire uh, yeah. to come back in Game 7. So th- that's pretty much what I'm watching. I'm, I'm, I'm locked in for that Game 7. I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm looking forward to Rockets and Lakers. I think that's going to be a really interesting series as far as just the way that they play and the fact that they have three seven-footers and the Rockets play with all guards. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much yeah the yeah I, thought, I was wondering if you're gonna bring that up that the rockets uh won the titus and tate battle honestly right now it's 100 to 100 with 20 seconds left uh <laughs> Wait, <what? laughs> there, could, there could be a game seven. what yes let me pull this up yeah chris paul has the ball 
I thought they had it in the bag. I was I. They did, and then OKC man, they they just don't go away. Chris Paul just got fouled, and is at the free this throw is why line. We're, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Tell us what happens, because uh, the people listening to this surely won't be able to know what happened. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamal Murray. Uh, uh, what were you saying? Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, breaking records. Uh, today, breaking Jimmy, records. Bu- Jimmy Butler yeah. sets a career. That, this is the story of the bubble. It's just like everyone shattered. Every single game you watch, there's like a new record of some sort being broken. I feel like I'm watching the Olympics when when you're you're watching swimming at the Olympics. We're like, how can every record be broken? This doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Mm-hmm. Are you juicing the pools? Mm-hmm. What is going on here? Mm-hmm. They, they do the line where like the world record is like, he's going to crush the world record. Oh my God. You're yeah, like, it, it's very Lance Armstrong world- vibes. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, what's going on here? How's everyone getting like this much it. better? Yeah. They don't even beat the world record. They crush it every single time. Jimmy Butler sets his new playoff career high. Giannis, I think, set his new uh, playoff career high for most <laughs> airballed free throws today. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Middleton's breaking shots at an alarming rate. It is uh, records are falling left and right. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. I, I had this one playoff note. I was watching the Heat Bucks earlier today. I can't believe that Tyler Hero almost went to Wisconsin. Mm. It, isn't that like a big what if to like flesh out? Like, can you imagine Tyler Hero? Like, I remember he committed to Wisconsin, then switched to Kentucky, and I was like, man, that's a bummer because that kid would have been awesome at Wisconsin just because I knew he was white. That was like pretty much it. <laughs> And then, like, you you actually, like, pay attention to Tyler Hero, and you're like, oh, my God, the culture clash of Tyler Hero on the buzz cuts. <laughs> Tyler Hero and Brad Davison. And I was going to say, honestly, Wisconsin, yeah. Tyler Hero is probably the J.J. Redick of college basketball in the sense that, like, he is the most watched player in all the country. Brad Davison's taking charges all over the place, <laughs> falling all over the floor. It would have been an epic moment. I mean, it's also crazy, like, as you watch that game, I forgot, or I don't even know how I forgot, but, like, I forgot that North Carolina played Marquette in the Sweet 16 when they had Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I think it was Darius Johnson Odom was the league score on their team, but, like, yeah. That that moment in time, they were talking about Milwaukee today, and they're like, and of course, you know, the, these guys have yeah, ties Tom to Marquette. Yeah, was that was like, Tom Crean, right? Tom Crean was coaching both those guys. It, it, was, yeah. it was not. It was Buzz Williams, right? But uh, It was Buzz, yeah. As the Heat continue to progress in the playoffs, Tom Crean will we'll we'll take credit for that. Again. Exactly. We'll yeah, yeah. He's like, and also Buzz. Jimmy Butler, who is mentored by Dwayne Wade. Who yeah, yeah. I, like, <laughs> who I coach, who I <laughs> and also, uh, Anthony Edwards, number one pick. I coached him as well. Uh, he might be the number one pick, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's wrap this thing up. Shout outs, closeouts. I want to shout out to Brandon Ingram, uh, most improved player, uh, the guy that went to the Los Angeles Lakers, a guy that was from Kinston, North Carolina, was supposed to follow in the, the footsteps of Jerry Stackhouse, go to North Carolina, be a success story. I was very excited about all things Brandon Ingram. I tuned him off when he went to Duke. Uh, he went to the Lakers. I tuned back in because I moved to LA. I've been pulling for the guy for a long time, and I feel like he gets no credit for the fact that he is still a really solid basketball player, and he got a lot of hate being in L.A. He went to the Pelicans. He bought in. He worked hard. And he went to most improved. So, shout out to Brandon Ingram. Man, the world really might be ending in 2020. That you're, <laughs> you're defending Duke guys. Leave, Brandon Ingram. Leave the Duke guys He's not alone. a Duke guy. He's a Brandon He is his own entity. He's a Kinston man. He's a Kinston guy. That's what Kinston it is. Kinston man. Uh, I want to shout out the dogs. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, of the Brownsburg Bulldogs, um, who defeated St. X. On national television, Tate, on Saturday. XFL football? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, dog, the Dogs versus St. X. Uh, so the Dogs, we, we were on national television. You might remember that I said we were going to get our asses kicked. It was not looking good at first, but miracles happened. They come back. They win. They win in overtime. It was a great game. I was watching on my phone. I'm, at, I'm, I'm sitting down to dinner in Santa Barbara overlooking the harbor of Santa Barbara. Uh, watching the game, I, I have the most beautiful view. It's the sun is setting on the mountains. You got the boats in the heart. Like it's, it is picturesque. 
and I'm locked in on my cell phone watching a high school football game in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, between the Dogs and St. Mm-hmm. X. And I'll be goddamn, the Bulldogs did it. Brownsburg football is back. What a glorious day. The last time we were on national <laughs> – Brownsburg had played one other game on national television. We played our rival, Avon, mm-hmm. who – fuck Avon. Fuck yeah. forever. I hate Avon. So forever. Uh, they beat our ass. Don't love that. So the last time we were on TV, they kicked our ass. And, uh, you know, it just feels good to win one. That's all I want to say is that the dogs are back. I want to sing the school fight. I, I FaceTime my brother. We started singing the school fight <laughs> High school has like, a fight song? Yeah, right? There's no way. Yeah, I, think it's, yeah. I think we stole, or we stole the Illinois fight song. Mm. I, th- I think that the uh, yeah because i remember we played then i got to college and we played at illinois and i was like dude they're playing my high school fight song this is sweet. <laughs> <You're> like, nice <laughs> then I, th- I thought about it for two more seconds and i was like oh it's kind of oh. like that that happens with logos too like when you're playing when you're younger you're like, uh, yeah. like i remember i played on the padres when i was a baseball and i was like man we're the padres like that's us forever <laughs> yeah. and then as you get older like that's not us that's oh my god this major league baseball team <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly what oh man good times uh i got the other side of dogs as you were talking about the good side of dogs i almost choked on a hot dog this weekend um (laughs) i uh i played golf i say this with all sincerity i played golf i shot you know i I told the last program i shot 78 and then i had a friend of mine who works for the chargers bryce he reached out to me he's like let's play golf i heard on the pod i'm like all right i'm down to play let's play I'm playing horrible. Like the word, my driver broke on the first hole. I'm like, did you DeShambo it? Did you lean on it? No, no. Like the the actual like head like flew off in a swing. Like Like as you hit the, like you just like yeah. So that that was like the start. So as soon as as soon as you see that, you say that guy did not shoot 78, right? So I'm like I'm like (laughs) battling my own. I'm battling my own. Like why did I even say anything? I wish I would have never said anything. Then I get to the tenth hole. You know, a little stress. I'm like, I'm gonna turn around the back nine. We're gonna make putts on the back nine, and I'm just taking a taking a dog down, just trying to get it quick, trying to get off the tee because there's grooves behind us. And then I'm choking, and then I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm choking, but I'm also like, actually, the laughing continues to make me choke. And then, anyways, I ended up coughing the dog out, uh, spitting like a chunk of just pink hot dog out <laughs> in front of all these people. They're probably just like absolutely horrified. Then I just tee off and act like nothing happened. And I just thought all I could think about was one: this is the worst way to ever go out. If you go out, that just is, a hot dog, be, yeah, guzzling a hot dog, you go down. It just no one wants that phone call. Second, I thought about you getting the phone call to say I was going to be on the show on Monday, yeah, uh, and it being about a hot dog. There were so many things that went through my head, and meanwhile, I was choking and laughing at those things. And uh, yeah, it just does make careful it out there. Like, I, like, I like thinking about it as it's happening. You're like, this can't be real, and then it just like yeah. it just it swallows you up whole. So just nothing's that funny is what that's, i would say that's funny you brought it up that you're like laughing at your demise like you're like i guess this is how i die and it you're was the most about it. it was the worst thing ever to see like if you watched it you would think that i was trying to kill myself you know what i mean it's like, i had the, the the same the same sensation uh body surfing with kyle i talked about that uh, <laughs> we're out in the waves and we got out there one time when it was like it was it was unbelievable like there's no one else in the water the waves were really high the wind it was super choppy and uh, we were both just like, oh, what's the worst that could happen? We, we figured we'd get out there. Mm. And I had the exact same thing happen that, like, as soon as I get out into where the waves are breaking, it just knocks me on my ass. And I'm, I'm in the undertow just, like, getting thrown <laughs> about. My head's hitting the sand, and all I'm doing is laughing underwater. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die trying to take a piss in the ocean. Like, this is yeah. – yeah. oh, my God. This, yeah. is, this is something. <laughs>
Welcome to 2020, I folks. I did it. Um, <laughs> I'm happy that you made it out. I'm happy I made it out. Speaking Here of blowing are. chunks, uh, I, I I did sailing class uh, this weekend. I'm, I'm happy to report I passed. I'm officially a uh, certified sailor, so uh, I can, uh, you know, we can talk Respect. nautical. You can throw out nautical terms to me. I get it now. I get a, mm. you know, I, mm. I get a starboard tack. I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. I know, okay. uh, you know, trimming the jib. I know it all. I'm, I can, mm. I can take a sailboat out now. Uh, day one, though. The wind was at about 16 knots, which, uh, you know, all you sailors listening, it's pretty, pretty stiff wind. It's pretty, you know, it's not like, a, you know, the, the guys that are like real sailors listening, they're like, come on, bro. That's nothing. But you know, come on, be honest with yourself. That's kind of, that's blowing pretty fast. Uh, big time swells out in Santa Barbara on day one. We get out on the boat, um, which by the way, shout out to the Santa Barbara sailing center who I took the classes mm. with. They were great. They were awesome. But, uh, day one, like almost immediately they throw your ass on a boat and they're like, here you go. Here's the tiller man, the helm. You're like, what? I, I, I thought you had to teach me something. Uh, so we're out there and, and we're doing tax tape, which is basically like you, you switch side to side. You, you zig and you zag and you're, you're pointed this way. Then now we're going to flip the sailboat this way. Cause you never, when you're sailing, you never sail direct line. Like if you're trying to go there, you sail all the way over here and then you turn and then you turn, but, and then like, that's kind of how you get there. You just kind of zig and zag. So that was all we did all the time. That's life folks. It's never a straight line. We were just zigging and zagging back and forth. Uh, we have like, people that have never sailed in their lives, myself included, are are at the wheel. It was the tiller actually, but we're we're like steering the thing. We're like, what does this do? Blah, blah, blah. Uh it's choppy as hell. Long story short, I just blow chunks everywhere and I, I go home like we, we we bring the boat into the dock. Like I didn't blow chunks immediately. Like I was I was doing pretty good. You mean for seasickness or just Yeah, yeah, I was seasick. Oh, wow. I was I made it about eighty five percent through the class. So I was like, I think I got this. I think we're good. And like right as we're about to take it back in, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I just like I blew. I, uh, there was a stranger in the class. We were we were all wearing masks, by the way. So all you guys that are like super corona sensitive, like we were all masked up. Don't worry. Uh, but I obviously pulled my mask down to throw up. I was gonna say, like, did and you then, throw? I mean, oh. but then that makes it worse because you put the mask right back on and you're like, just smell. Oh, dude, it was brutal. And then uh, we get into the dock. And I jump, I like literally just like jump off the boat. I almost like missed the dock because I was like, I got to get the fuck off this thing. And I jump yeah. off and the guy was like, all right, now we're going to tie it up. And I was like, buddy, I'm not tying shit up. I'm going to the bathroom right now. And I like beeline straight to the toilet. <laughs> He's like, you passed. And long story short, <laughs> this is, my story is a story of perseverance because that was day one. That was my first experience. Oh, okay. I go to bed that night. I'm staying at a hotel and I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, like, I'm not cut out to be a sailor. Mm. Fast forward two days to eight. I I'm out there manning the thing on my own. I, am, uh, I, I, I got a hundred out of a hundred. I'm the only guy. Is, in the is this Dramamine or is this yeah. uh, well, okay. a little Dramamine, but also okay. the conditions like the wind died down and everything was fine. And, and I knew what I was doing. So Glad like, you when, I'm, help. when I'm steering the boat, I wasn't like, you know, just fucking throwing the thing left and right and making yourself sick. Um, but yeah, I was the only guy in the class to get 100% on the test. I don't know if that matters to people listening. I don't know if that's like a detail I should tell, but it's it's a fact. It happens. Let me so, let me just say uh, this. After what I learned about the 78, you don't want to say any score because now <laughs> someone's going to come up to you and give you a test. Uh, and that's I'm going to have everyone asking want. me sailing terms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You don't want to play the nautical yeah. game with these people, Mark. Yeah, this yeah, I, I know. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to now bite off more than I can chew. My mind is already like, I need to buy a sailboat. My mind is already like, I'm trying to sail like, multi-day trips up the california coast i'm trying to go to the the channel islands and just anchor yes. down for like five days yes. you know because that's that's how my brain works like the moment i can do something small i'm like all right what if i did the all right so i can let's go macro 
I can fly a little bit. Why don't we go to the moon now? Uh, you yeah. know, so that's that's how my brain went. But anyway, I passed. I'm happy to report I passed. Hundred percent. And 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 I guess the big takeaway is we can sail to Maui. Is is what's going to happen? So or Orlando, <laughs> wherever the bubble is, wherever the bubble is, you tell us. You tell us, oh, NCAA. Man. All right. Is that it? Is that the show? I think that's it. I feel great. I'm glad we blow, We both blew trunks. Uh, I'm glad that we, we, blue trunks, uh, blue trunks, uh, in our blue trunks and, uh, yeah. RIP to Lute Olson, uh, RIP to big John Thompson. And I mean, just, uh, yeah, these are, these are like the moments in time where I'm so happy that I had college basketball to look up to these guys and, uh, yeah. and live that life. But and I'm happy we get to talk about these it's guys. It's sad, man. Every time these guys go, the, the guys who are around to give quotes, uh, the, the, the pool is just shrinking and shrinking, you know, as, as. When Dean Smith passed, there were more guy, there were more legends of the game that gave quotes than when John yep. Thompson's pa- passed. Yep. And as as we go on, they're just they're literally a dying breed, and it's a that part is a bummer. But um, you know, we have we have Will Wade to usher us into the new era of college basketball coaching. American guess. gangster. <laughs> All right, that's the show. Thanks for listening. See you guys.